We are starting a new series this morning called The Journey. If you haven't seen the graphics already, are they? Yeah, there they are. Uh, we are starting a new series called The Journey. And uh, for the last few weeks, if you've been with us, you know we've kind of been working through uh, just those three big words in our mission statement, right? Love, live, and lead. And so that's where we've been. Uh, we've talked about what it means to love God, to worship God. Uh, we've talked about what it means to, to live that out, like in every area of our lives. Um, every, every area of our lives is uh, grounds for us to worship God through, uh, through our attitudes, our, our thoughts, our behaviors, our actions. Um, so that's what it means to live. And then last week, we just presented the challenge to you uh, to lead. And that challenge was to lead someone into a, a deeper walk with Jesus. And so that's kind of the ramp that gets us into our new sermon series called The Journey. And we're just going to be spending the next few weeks talking about uh, discipleship, right? What discipleship, uh, what it is, uh, why it's important, why we should, like, why we should consider it and, and why we want to emphasize it. And then also just how to go about it. So we're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. Uh, and we're using uh, this, this imagery or this idea of a journey. Because uh, I think it's going to provide kind of a helpful illustration as we go through the next few weeks. Uh, but then I was listening to a podcast earlier this week that reminded me, uh, if you, you kind of look back at the history of Christianity, like early Christians were not even really called Christians, at least not originally. They were called uh, followers of the way, right? And so even from the early onset of Christianity, you've got this idea of a journey, like we're on a journey, we're on a path. And so uh, that's kind of the imagery for this series the next few weeks, but the, the emphasis is really going to be on discipleship. And we're going to build out some of those things, talk about uh, why it matters and, and why we think it's important, why we want to put it before you um, and ask you guys to, to help us with that. Um, so we're going to begin this morning on the journey. And just to let you know how my, my brain works, I've had journey songs stuck in my head all week. Right? You will learn, I think, in terms of music, and so, like, I just get stuff stuck in my head, and so I've been singing Steve Perry all week. I can't sing that high, but, uh, but I've been trying. Um, but anyways, we are, uh, we're going to start this week of the journey um, probably in the, not the most conventional place, but I think it's important. We're going to begin the journey with the destination. Okay, we're going to begin with the end in mind. And the reason for that is because, in theory, any journey that you take, you need to know where you're going. Okay, now, growing up, um, my mom used to love to take us on trips, and there were times where we would get in the car, and we didn't really know where we were going to end up. Like, she just liked to, let's go for a trip, and then we would end up, I don't know, somewhere else, and we'd spend the night, and we'd have fun, and then we'd turn around and come home. But for most journeys, it's good to know where you're going, okay, because if you don't know the destination or you don't know where you're going, then uh, how do you know whether or not the journey was successful, right? Like, There's no way of assessing the journey without knowing the destination. And so we're going to begin this morning uh, with the destination in mind or, or, or the goal in mind. But I want to start by just pointing out um, when we think of churches and, and their goals or, or their, their destinations they're headed, headed towards, I want to start by just kind of pointing out maybe some wrong goals or some wrong destinations, okay? And, and as I think you'll see, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're not the goal of the church. They should not be the goal that we pursue. And so uh, the three things that I think a lot of times we hear churches focusing on, uh, we're going to alliterate because that's what Baptists do, uh, buildings, budgets, 
and bodies. Okay? These are things that are, that are good and important, but a lot of times churches put like all their, their effort and energy into those things. And so, I mean, think about buildings. Okay, buildings are good. Buildings are important. Buildings are like necessary tools for us to, to do some of the things that we do. It's like I'm thankful we have a place together that, that will hold us, right? Where it's, we're not being rained on right now. Uh, I'm thankful that we have facilities for our kids to go and be taught and trained and equipped. Um, full disclosure, like I'm praying for the day that this room will not contain us and we have to expand out into the other half of this building. Okay, so buildings are a great tool. They're a great resource, but they're not, they're not the goal. Okay, they're not the goal of ministry. If, if this building, God forbid, something happened to it and, and ceased to exist tomorrow, Valley Creek Baptist Church would still go on because the church is not the building. Okay, in fact, one of the things, kind of along this lines, one of the things when I was going through the, uh, the process of, of uh, joining the staff here, one of the things that I found so appealing about this was, uh, you know, talking about this campus specifically was talking with, with Pastor Scott and with some of the leadership was that you know, they had the opportunity to maybe build a bigger building out at Springfield Road. You know, we could just build a bigger building, maybe just fit more people in here. But, but somewhere in that process was this decision, you know, maybe we would be better stewards to actually just start a new work on the other side of town, right, to have... Uh, kind of this mission-minded. So it wasn't this idea of let's just big a, build a bigger building so we can bring all the people here, but let's go to where maybe some of the people are and do a work there. And so I, mean, I found that so encouraging. So um, anyways, buildings, important, sometimes necessary, but not the goal, right? Um, budgets, again, money, important. I'm not going to say that money's like required and necessary to do ministry, but it really helps to advance uh, certain causes whenever you do have a little bit of money to do ministry with. Okay? Even in the New Testament, you see um, that, that Paul is oftentimes encouraging churches or um, you know, expressing gratitude for churches because they would support, support the work, support missions efforts. Um, you see, um, man, you, it, it's good for churches to be able to financially support their, their pastors and their leaders. Like That's a good commendable thing whenever it's possible. Um, but, but money, as important as it is, as good of a tool as it is for, for doing ministry and um, kind of expanding ministry, it's not the goal of ministry to get more money, to have a bigger budget. Right? That's, that's not the goal. So, uh, in fact, I mean, you just, you just do a Google search and you can see churches and ministry leaders that have been derailed because money kind of became the focus, right? Or the misuse or the mishandling of money. So, Money can be a dangerous thing, right? So it's not, it's not the goal of the church is to get a bigger budget, okay? Um, the last one's I think the trickiest, bodies, okay? Now, I don't, know, I don't know a single ministry leader or pastor that would say, you know what, I have enough people in my church, I don't want any more, right? Like, like that's, we all want, like, I, man, again, my card's on the table. Can I use that illustration in church? Um, I want to see this room packed one day, right? I want to see, again, the building. I want to use the back half of the building so that, like, this won't hold us. We've got to expand elsewhere because there's so many people here, right? Every Sunday, I park back here next to the, uh, the Habitat for Humanity sign, and I walk through the parking lot, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and my prayer every Sunday, at least for the last few Sundays, is just, 
God, I pray that one day this parking lot is full. That's just what I pray for. But, right, the goal of the church is not to just draw a crowd, though I want to draw a crowd. Right? As, as important of, of building, building the churches and building you know, a commun- community of people, like our goal, as I hope to point out here in just a minute, is, is not just to, to get a crowd, to get a bunch of people in one room. Okay? So if buildings and budgets and bodies are not the ultimate goal of the church, then what is? I'm glad you asked the question. Here we go. Matthew chapter 28. Um, actually, let me give a little context and then we'll read it. This is, if you've been in church for a long time, this is going to be a familiar passage to you. That's what we call the Great Commission. Okay, and so the context of it is Jesus has already, uh, he's already been crucified. He's already been buried. He's already resurrected. Uh, he's been walking around on earth for a short time and he's about to ascend to heaven. So he collects some of his, his disciples, his followers here in one place uh, to give them some parting words before he ascends to heaven to be with the Father. And so what you've got here is like Jesus' last words uh, to his followers here on this earth. And if you were here last week, I talked about kind of the power of like when you know you're going to be speaking your last words, like those words kind of have some weight to them. Uh, we looked at Paul's uh, letter to Timothy last week. And so you kind of get that same thing here in that uh, Jesus is about to ascend. He's leaving his followers here on earth and he's going to give them some last words. And so like these words have some weight to them. All right, they're important. The last thing that Jesus knows he's going to say to his followers, and, and this is what he says in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, pause. Press the pause button. So here, the statement that Jesus has just made, is like, it's easy to skim over, but it's, it's profound. Okay, because here's what Jesus is saying. All authority, every authority that could be had, I now have it. Okay, do you know what the word all means in the original language here? It means all. Right, all of it. All, what Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth, right, every bit of authority that could ever exist in all of creation is now his. Right, we think of authority, um, like we kind of have limited views of authority because uh, most of us, even if we're in a position of authority, there's someone in authority over us, okay, whether it's our supervisor or, or, or whatever, right? Even uh, the people that we look at in this world that, that would have some authority, like, you know, even say, say the president, okay, even he does not have ultimate authority. There's checks and balances and things like that. So like, in a sense, it's hard for us to grasp, grasp this idea of someone having total authority. But Jesus here says, all authority, all of it has been given to me from God the Father, which is basically Jesus saying, um, I have the final word on everything. Right, so these words he's about to speak to his followers, like they matter. For Jesus to say, like, all authority is mine. Whatever comes next is important. And so whatever comes next, in this case, is is kind of the marching orders for us as followers of Jesus. And here's what he says, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here you got kind of one goal. I mean, there's a lot of different commands in there. There's a lot of action verbs, you know, telling us things to do. But it all is centered around this one idea. It's when he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. All right, we're going to look at some of the other kind of sub-commands in just a minute. But the big idea, like the one imperative in this, this passage, the marching order for the church is to make disciples. Not to build bigger buildings. Right? Not to uh, have huge ministry budgets, as important as, as those things are. Not to, not to just collect a bunch of people in, in one place. But to make disciples. Right? And this is not a goal of the church. This is the goal of the church. Right? According to Jesus, this is what our mission is, to make disciples. So, how do we get there? That's the whole point of this series, the journey. To talk about, okay, if our goal is to make disciples, then like, really, what does that look like? What does that require of us? Like, what all does that entail? And so that's where we're going the next few weeks, but we're going to start here just in this passage. There's kind of three, three verbs, three actions, three commands I want us to, to look at this morning. And the first one is going. All right, if you go back to verse 19, this is how Jesus starts. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So when you see the word going here, um, sometimes there's kind of two aspects. Okay, the first one is this idea of we're going to leave where we are, we're going to pack up our stuff, and we're going to go somewhere else and make disciples. Right, we would consider this to be like missions work. Right? So that's what's on the, the idea on the, the sign out there when you walk down the hallway. There's, you've kind of got the global map with the word go and, and a reference to this verse. And, and the point, like, that's good and right. right? Some people are called to right, pack up their lives, to go to another place, and to make disciples there. Right? I, I know people personally that have packed up their lives of, of comfort here in America, and have gone to third world countries to, uh, to make disciples. And that is certainly part of it. But I do think there's, there can be a danger if we lean too heavily on that side. Because what happens is we, we think that uh, this command to go and make disciples is only for people that are going to uproot their lives and go somewhere else. And then we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm not really called to that. I'm called to something else. So this doesn't really apply to me. And what's wrong about that is the word go here is not just pack up and leave and go to uh, another country or another side of the world. Okay, the, the, the word go here has another kind of uh, meaning, and it's basically as you are going. Okay, as you are going, make disciples. So it's not just, it's not just uproot and leave, but it's also in the daily rhythms of your life. Right? As you go. Make disciples. Okay? The, the reality is that the sovereign God of the universe has placed us where we are for a reason. That's, I reference this verse all the time because I take great comfort in it. Right? Acts 17, uh, verse 26. Paul's writing and he's just saying that God has, has determined right, the, the, the allotted uh, time periods and boundaries of our dwelling places. Like we are where we are because God wants us here. You are here this morning because God wants you here. You are in the home that you have, in the community that you live in, because that's where God wants you. 
you work at the place you work at because that's where God wants you. Right? We could go on and on. You're, if you're a student or you go to the school that you go to because that's where God wants you. Because in his plan, he's put you in these places to make disciples as you are going. So it's not just a command for the missionary going to the foreign mission field, though it is a command for them. But it's a command for all of us that wherever we go, like whatever our rhythms of life are, we're to go and make disciples. Right? So this is a command for everyone, regardless. Right? But this is not the only command. So the second thing that Paul writes here is talks about baptizing. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what, what Paul's referring to here, it, it is the physical act of baptism, right? The, the immersion of, of a believer in water. But he's attaching that to this bigger idea of um, when we go and we, we make disciples and we baptize, there is this idea of conversion. Okay, the, the first step in making a disciple right, is, is leading someone to be a follower of Jesus, like a believer in Jesus. And so uh, in, in the New Testament, you read through the New Testament, like there's all these accounts of people um, believing the gospel and putting their trust in Jesus, and they're almost always accompanied by baptism. In fact, you read through the New Testament, like you'll be hard fest, hard, hard fest, it's made up a word, hard pressed to find. <laughs> Words are hard. You would be hard pressed to find uh, a, a, a new believer or, or a Christian that has not been baptized. Okay, and so when, when Jesus says here, hey, go and, and baptize, what he's connecting that to is, is to go and proclaim the gospel so that people might respond to the good news of Jesus. Right? And that the, baptism is the first step of obedience that comes with that. Right? That's not to say that baptism saves. Okay, that's like our beliefs, right? As a bad, baptism is not what saves you. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? It is... It is uh, not a result of works, as Paul would say, so that we can boast. Right? So it's not baptism that saves us, but baptism is connected to our salvation and that it is a public symbol of our relationship with God for what He has done for us in and through the person and work of Jesus. Okay? So think of it this way. Um, married, married couples in the room, you might get this. Um, Baptism is kind of like, just, just imagine, imagine a marriage in which there was no ceremony, okay? And you guys are like, yeah, I get that. We were married to the courthouse, okay? Okay, hang with me here for a second, right? Imagine a marriage where there's no ceremony, where there's uh, nobody wears a wedding band, so there's no public acknowledgement, you know, of, of your commitment. And then not only that, but you just refuse to be publicly associated with your spouse, that would not be a healthy marriage, okay? But essentially, that's like to say salvation without baptism. That's kind of what that is because baptism is this public announcement right, to the world that I'm, I've committed my life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so to, to proclaim to be a Christian and refuse to follow through with baptism is, um, and there, there's a disconnect there, right? You, you follow what I'm saying? So maybe this morning, 
Man, messages land on us in different ways, I know, sometimes. So maybe this morning uh, you're here for a message on discipleship and you're like, you know what, I think I might need to be baptized. Okay? And if that's you, we can have a conversation after the service today. I would love to do that. Okay? Or on the flip side, maybe you're here um, and you grew up and you were baptized at a young age and you just kind of thought that meant you were saved, but now you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just like a, a religious sort of rite of passage. And if that's you this morning, again, let's have a conversation after service today. All right, but the point here, I kind of went off on a tangent there, my bad. The, the point here is that, that, that baptism, when Jesus says go and baptize, and he's talking about the first step in making disciples is to introduce people to Jesus, to the good news of the gospel, that they might respond in faith, Right, and be baptized as the first step of obedience. Be baptized as a, a public acknowledgement that, that I am now a disciple of Jesus. That's what it is to be baptized. Okay, so, um, so we've got going. Right, Jesus calls us to go as, and make disciples. He calls us to baptize, the first step of making disciples. And, and by the way, baptize, to, to baptize, baptism is the first step. Okay, but it's not the end goal. I think oftentimes, kind of in the church world, we're like, if we just get them baptized, then we're good. But the reality is that baptism is the first step. Okay, there's, I read a quote this week from Robbie Gowdy. Um, he writes a lot about discipleship, and he said, he writes this in his book, Replicate. He says, baptism is not the finish line of a relationship with Christ. It's the starting line of a lifelong journey toward God. So he's talking about discipleship here, and, and baptism is the first step, but it's not the only step. Because discipleship happens in the next step where he says, verse 20, teaching them. So we, we go, we make disciples, we baptize, and then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Disciples begin right, by being converted to Christ, by believing the gospel, by repenting of their sins, trusting in Jesus. But then disciples are, are built as they are taught. And as followers of Jesus, it's our responsibility to go and to teach. Okay, So teaching is the task, and then he gives us the content here too. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right, so Jesus' commands make up the content of our teaching. Right, we don't just teach whatever we want to teach. We teach what Jesus has said. But as we build people up, we teach Jesus' commands. And it's, it's more than just knowledge, like head knowledge, intellectual knowledge. Right, I'm a nerd. I love to read and study. and like, I love that kind of stuff. But I've tried, to, I've tried to say this every week for the last few weeks. Discipleship is more than just growing in knowledge. It's growing in obedience to that knowledge, obedience to, to the Word. And so this is what, what Jesus says here. He's teaching them to observe all that I have commanded or to apply or to act out all that I have commanded. Right? The idea is that as we teach God's Word, as we teach Jesus' words, right, yes, it informs our minds, but then it, right, it goes from head to our heart so that we might live it out like with our hands, practically, in everyday life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So here's, um, 
Let's, let's do this. Any, are there any teachers in the room? We have one, a couple? All right. Well, we've got more over here. All right. So teachers. Good. All right. First of all, God bless you, teachers. Okay? Especially those of you that have kids that have had to, to be at home over the last, what now, almost a year? Right? Teachers do not get paid enough um, for what you do. But let's, let's do this one then. How many of you have been forced into the role of teacher because of COVID restrictions and all that, right? Whether, whether the school shut down or you just decided to keep your, your kids home from school, right? A lot of us have been forced into the role of teacher. And so now we are better able to uh, understand the plight of teachers on a daily basis, okay? Uh, but the reason I bring that up, okay, I'm going somewhere with this, is that oftentimes when we hear the word teach, we automatically put up this barrier, like, that's not for me. I'm not a teacher, okay? My wife, I love her. She says all the time, she's, she's like, I don't know how you stand up and just talk and teach. I can't do that. I'm like, you do it every day with our children. You can totally do it. Maybe not stand up here and do it. I get that, but right. But the idea is, we 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 hear the word teach, like in this call to teach someone, and we put up this this defense mechanism, like I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm not equipped to do that. And the reality is, as a follower of Jesus, you have what you need to do that. Hey, when we when we say uh, when Jesus says, you know, teach uh, others, make disciples, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, right? He's not saying like everybody's got to go to seminary and get a degree to teach. He's not saying that you've got to uh, have some sort of um, incredible gift to teach. Now, yes, there are teaching gifts. Um, hopefully I have one as your, as your pastor, <laughs> right? But, but the idea here is that, that all of us are called in, in some form or fashion as followers of Jesus to teach others, okay? Just as a parent... Right, whenever they see their child has a need, they're trying to help their child grow, a, a parent just naturally jumps in and teaches. A lot of you guys have done that a lot over the last year. Okay, in the same way, like as followers of Jesus, when we see um, someone that needs to be trained and discipled and needs to grow, like this is on us to jump in and teach. And we have what we need to do. We have the Word and we have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's all that you need to teach and make disciples. Okay, that's all that you need. Yes, you need, you need certain qualifications to teach in the school system. Okay, you need, the Bible would even like set certain qualifications to be able to stand up here and teach and preach. Okay, but, but when it comes to like one-on-one -on -one discipleship, like, like helping someone walk, grow in their walk with Jesus, like, you have what you need at your disposal. You have the Word. You have the Spirit. And what Jesus is calling us to is to take those things up and to teach others Jesus' commands and how to, to live that out. And here's another thing. Another thing that I think is really helpful when we think about teaching, really encouraging when we think about teaching, and really kind of challenging, is that the idea of, Jesus calling us to teach, like in that, like teaching sanctifies the teacher. And what I mean by that is you can't teach something you don't know. 
you can't teach something you're not familiar with. Okay, it's, it's like, uh, how many guys ever fly on planes? Okay, and so you fly on planes and they give you that, that spill up at the beginning uh, where if, um, if there's an emergency, the masks are going to drop down and they tell the adults to put on the mask first, right? So that when you put on the mask, then you can help the children next to you. Okay, because it's this idea of like, you can't give to others, you can't help others what, what you, you're not experiencing first. And so when it comes to this idea of teaching, like it, it sanctifies the teacher because like we can't train and disciple and lead others unless we're familiar with what we're doing. Like we can't teach others the way of Jesus if we don't know the way of Jesus. At least not with any sort of like integrity, right? So teaching, we're called to teach in a way like that, that grows us. That grows us. And then it just makes us, like I said, uh, it makes us, makes us live a life of integrity. And if we're going to teach someone else, like, like Paul says to, you know, in, in the New Testament, to, to follow me as I follow Christ, like if we're going to teach someone to follow Jesus, it requires that we're following Jesus. If we're going to teach with any sort of integrity at all, it requires that we're living out what we're trying to lead others into. And, and just so, I want to be honest with you as your pastor. And as I'm preparing this sermon this week, I'm like, I've got to do some, some introspection and some repentance here. Because the last few months of my life have been crazy. And so I'm looking at this and, and I'm asking myself, who am I discipling? And then it hits me, and outside of my own family, I don't know that I could consistently say that I've discipled anyone on any like consistent basis for the last few months. Right? And, and I don't want to be found a fraud. Right? I don't want to stand up here and ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And the reason I say that is because if, as we get settled in here in E-Town, if I come to you and I say, hey, would you like to meet for discipleship? Don't take that as a reflection on what I think of you. <laughs> man, this guy really needs to be discipled, right? That's just me. I want to live out the same stuff that I'm calling you to. Not that I'm calling you to, that, that Jesus is calling us to. Right? Because I want to, I want to live out this stuff. I don't want to just teach it. I want to live it. And I want to live it with you. Right? So, Jesus calls us to make disciples. Baptize, to baptize, to baptize, to teach. But there's still one more thing he says is not an exhortation, but it's actually an encouragement. He says, he says, and behold, I am with you always. Right? The good news is that, is that Jesus has called us to this task, but he's also promised to go with us. Right? He's promised his presence. Right? He's, not, he's not calling us to something and then just sending us out and just watching us from a distance. Okay? He's not doing that. He's saying, I am with you always. And I didn't notice 
This is something I never noticed until this week. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, connect it back to our devotionals we're doing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a devotional on kind of the last half of Matthew chapter 1. It's the announcement of Jesus' birth. And so if you go back to that, um, this is how, how Jesus announced, or Jesus, I guess Jesus can't announce his own birth, can he? This is how the angel announces Jesus' birth to Joseph. In chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in chapter 1 of Matthew, you get this promise of, of God's presence with us. And then the last words of Matthew are this promise from Jesus. Hey, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. So we get this comfort in knowing that this task that Jesus has called us to, to make disciples, as, as difficult as it might be, as, as weighty as it might be, um, He has promised to be with us. Always. And so we have everything that we need. Right? He's promised to encourage us. He's promised to equip us. He's promised to empower us to live out this thing He's calling us to live out as we make disciples um, in and amongst the world around us. We have what we need. We can do it. We collectively as a church can do this. So we're going to keep talking about this in the next few weeks. But let me ask you to bow your heads before we pray, before the band comes to sing. As always, there's going to be ways for you to respond. Um, they'll be on the screen. I'll be down front at the conclusion of the service. Or if you want to catch me in the hallway, we can talk. But um, here's where I would just want this to land on us this morning, is just to consider who might God be calling you to make a disciple of? As you are going, maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe it's someone at your workplace. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe um, Maybe it's someone that you sit next to in church. Who is God calling you to disciple? Can I kind of connect it back to last week? Are you are you willing to step into that? Because these are our marching orders. This is what Jesus has called us to. This is what Jesus has called us to. So let's do it. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning um, thankful for your word. We're thankful that that you have not placed us here uh, on this earth without any sense of direction. Lord, you've given us very clear, uh, very concise um, orders, very concise commands, what you, what you require of us, and that is to make disciples. So for those of us that here this morning and would, would say, I am a follower of Jesus, there's been a moment in my life where I've placed my trust in Him alone for salvation. I pray that we would feel the weight of this command. Or that we would not be, I, I just pray that we would not be consumers, that we would not just come and sit and receive on a Sunday morning, as good and important as that is, but that we would, we would be doers of your word that we would follow your command to make disciples. And so for this week, as we go out of here, I I pray that you would just help us maybe just to look at the world around us a little differently. Where have you placed us that we might make disciples? How have you 
Have you equipped us that we might make disciples? Lord, give us the boldness and the courage to step into that. The next few weeks as we kind of roll some things out and and provide opportunities for this this thing to happen, I, I pray that we would all just be willing to take that step to either be discipled or to make disciples. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this week, encourage us this week, prompt us this week, and then Lord, give us the um, Lord, just the, the courage to respond as you would have us to. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.